Ah, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendour, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, it'll be good to have that open in front of you. We'll be uh, working our way through those words. They're hard words. 
So let's pray and ask God to uh, help us as we read them and study them. Heavenly Father, we give thank uh, give thanks for your word. Father, we pray that your spirit would open up our hearts and minds to see and understand what's written there, that we might know more about what it is to be a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, living for the glory and honour of Jesus. Father, we pray that as we read these words and are confronted by them, we pray that your spirit would go to work in us and uh, change what needs to be changed in us so that we can live the way you want us to as disciples of Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. Well, we live in a world that is spoiled for choice. Uh, You only need to go to the supermarket to realise that when you see the shelves stocked with a variety of options for any one particular item that you want to purchase. For example, if you want to buy a bottle of juice, I don't know, what have you got, 30 or 40 options? That's nuts, and, and you, can, you can multiply that through all the different things in the supermarket. We, we live in a world where we're spoiled for choice for career. No longer do we just take over the family business. We get to choose, and then after a few years, if you want to do something different, you choose something different, and then maybe choose something different again uh, as life goes by. We can choose where to live. We can choose what device to use and what to watch on the device. Do we stick with TV? Do we do Netflix? Do we do YouTube? There's so many choices available to us. Choices of where to holiday. We're spoiled for choice in so many ways. The life of the disciple is full of choice as well. Uh, Not only do we respond to God's call by following Jesus, we make a number of choices day by day about how to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven while maintaining residency as an alien on earth. And Jesus wants his disciples to have a kingdom perspective, to live for the sake of the kingdom. And so our lives become a series of choices and we see these presented here by Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. There are two treasures treasure on earth and treasure in heaven. There are two conditions, light and darkness. There are two masters, God and money. There are two preoccupations, our bodies and the kingdom of heaven. Well, firstly, there are two treasures. You can see it there. There's treasure on earth and treasure in heaven. Which will you choose? We begin in verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, what are treasures on earth? What is Jesus referring to here? I think he's referring to any valuable which can, is either perishable or can be lost. And he's talking about the selfish accumulation of goods. He's talking about extravagant living. He's talking about the lack of care for the needy. He's talking about believing that a person's life consists in the abundance of their possessions. The attitude of materialism that ties our hearts to the things of earth. 
They are often things we pursue out of covetousness. But the problem with treasures on earth is they can be eaten or they can rust away. Or if they don't decay over time, they can simply be stolen. Just this week, the frailty of earthly treasures was exposed by floods. Now, in contrast, there is treasure in heaven. What is treasure in heaven? Well, treasure in heaven is, what does it mean to live as a disciple in the kingdom? It's the development of Christ-like character. That's treasure in heaven. Growing in faith and hope and love, that's treasure in heaven. Growing in our knowledge and love of Jesus as we grow in our relationship with him, that's treasure in heaven. Actively seeking to introduce other people to Jesus so that they too will inherit eternal life, that's treasure in heaven. These are all things that that are part of life on earth that have eternal effects. And these treasures will never perish, spoil or fade. They can never be taken away from us. We don't need to take out insurance on them. Now we need to be careful here to understand that Jesus is not condemning wealth. He's not condemning clothing and and things like that. He's condemning the love of them. Our Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see, eternally this is a life and death issue. What we value, what we treasure, tugs at our minds and emotions. It consumes our time with planning and daydreaming and and in our efforts to achieve things. And where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. What does our heart long for? The things we treasure. So to follow Jesus faithfully is to love what he loves. To train ourselves to adopt an unswerving loyalty to kingdom values. To delight in all that he approves. We need to train our minds to treasure godliness we need to train our minds to treasure our relationship with jesus to treasure more people coming into relationship with jesus and when we treasure those things as valuable as they are then our hearts will be won over to chase after them more than we chase after earthly treasures that simply pass away like the morning mist Later in 1 Timothy 6, Paul says this. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Well, secondly, there are two conditions. There are, there's light and there's darkness. Which will you choose? 
Jesus speaks about where our gaze is fixed, using a metaphor related to our eyes. Have a look at verse 22. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, much of what we do depends on our ability to see. Driving a car, crossing a road, cooking, painting, any life. Now, of course, physically blind people have wonderful coping mechanisms to help them through day-to-day life. But the principle in this figure of speech holds true. A person with their eyesight intact walks in the light, while a person, a blind person, walks in darkness. Now, Jesus takes this figure of speech to teach us about life in the kingdom of heaven. You see, if we have physical vision, we can see what we're doing and where we're going. If we have spiritual vision, if our spiritual perspective is rightly adjusted, then our life is filled with purpose and and motivation. But if our vision becomes clouded by the false gods of materialism and we fix our gaze on the things of this world, then our whole life is in darkness and we cannot see where we're going. And what we treasure is determined by what we gaze upon. That's how advertising works, doesn't it? They keep putting things in front of us that we gaze upon and eventually we think, you know what? I wouldn't mind me a bit of that. I'm a sucker for travel brochures. I love looking at travel brochures and dreaming about holidays. I was talking to someone yesterday who's recently bought a block of land. He needs to build a house. So he's looking at house plans and as he looks at house plans, he's like, oh, maybe I want this one or maybe I want that one. The more he gazes upon it, the more he values it, the more his heart yearns after it. If we gaze upon the things of this world, then those things will become what we treasure. And so Jesus warns his hearers to gaze upon the kingdom of heaven and to allow the light of the kingdom to shine on everything in our lives. And in doing that, we will treasure what God treasures. So we can store up earthly treasure or heavenly treasure. We can fix our eyes on the things of this world or upon the kingdom of heaven. Thirdly, there are two masters. Which will you choose? Jesus says, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I reckon these words are difficult for us to hear, aren't they? They're extreme. Are they true? You see, when Jesus says no one can serve two masters, we're not sort of thinking about, you know, two 20th century employers. He's meaning more slave owners. You see, it's possible to work for two employers, but it's not possible to be owned by two slave owners at the same time. You serve one or the other. And when Jesus says we will love one and hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other, what does that mean? It means if there is a contest between the two, we will always choose the one we prefer. 
And Jesus warns us here, only one master can come out on top. What or whom do we want to serve most? We cannot serve both God and money. Now the word for money can be translated as mammon. And originally the word means something in which one puts confidence. So what is the choice for the person in the kingdom of heaven? The choice is you put your confidence in money, which is sort of a summary for the material things of this world, or you put your confidence in God and in the kingdom of heaven. One of the great dangers for us in hearing this word, these words is we don't understand the choice as starkly as Jesus presents it. Because we always think when we look at that, don't we? A little of column A and a little of column B. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And we always think to ourselves, you know what? I reckon I probably could. I'll be the one who can. Don't we? In my home, we have the daily struggle with three young children to persuade our kids to do all they need to do in the morning to get ready for school on time. They have a list of things to do. They've got to empty the dishwasher, they've got to have their breakfast, they've got to get dressed, they've got to brush their teeth, do their hair and all that. It's just normal, everyday, getting ready stuff, right? And every day, if you turn your back for more than five seconds, they will get distracted by a game or a toy and before you know it, they've been up for an hour and a half, there's ten minutes till they've got to get in the car and they've still got six things left to do. And the stress levels rise. Here we are again, the same as yesterday and the day before and the day before and last week and the week... You know what I mean if you're a parent. Now, uh, that happened through the week, go figure. And, and one of our children, quite angrily, because we were insisting on getting the jobs done, pleaded, what's wrong with having fun? There's nothing wrong with having fun as long as you do your jobs. But if having fun means you don't Get ready in time, then you can't serve both masters. You need to stop what you're doing and get ready. Which is the more important thing. Who are you going to serve? You see, there's nothing wrong with money itself. It's a wonderful gift from God that, that enables us to, 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 to acquire clothes and food and to put a roof over our head and to be generous. But when we put our trust in money, when we put our security in money, when we depend on money, when we idolise the things that money can buy, when the pursuit of money becomes our highest priority, then we need to stop and take heed of what Jesus says. Are we oriented to the present world and to the material goods of this world? My guess is that if we look deep into the heart of heart, in our heart of hearts, we are oriented to this world much more than we think we are. I know I am. But the choice is clear. A person in the kingdom of heaven cannot serve both God and money. And so Jesus presents his hearers with, with these choices. Will we store up earthly treasure or treasure in heaven? Will we keep our gaze fixed on the kingdom of heaven or on earthly things? Will we serve God or money? 
And at face value, these choices look pretty easy, but there's a few pragmatic issues to consider, isn't there? What about the necessities of life? I've got a wife and children. I need to provide them with food and clothing and shelter. How how do we deal with this? Well, Jesus says, finally, there are two preoccupations. Our bodies and God's kingdom. Which will you choose? Take a look at verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? The the implied answer is, well, yes. And the argument's pretty simple. If God can give us life, if if God can keep our bodies going, if he can keep our our hearts pumping and the blood going through our veins and the the oxygen working through our lungs, if God can do that, which is pretty difficult and complex how much more will he provide lesser things like food and clothes? And he drives home the point by giving us two examples. Firstly, we see there in verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? You see, to worry about food and drink is to have learned nothing from God's creation. The point is not that the disciples don't have to work. Birds don't simply, you know, sit there on a branch with their beak open waiting for God to drop food in. But they don't fret. And if God cares for birds in that way, how much more does he care for us, people made in his image? Worry is going to shorten your life, not prolong your life. We need to trust God with these things. That's the first example. The second example is in verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now again, the point here is not that Jesus' disciples can be lazy, but, but he's saying that God clothes the, grass, clothes the grass with a spectacular array of flowers, even though that grass is going to be mown and burned up. Won't he be even more concerned to clothe his children? If only we would truly believe. Now, in the end, Jesus urges his followers to live differently to the Gentiles. Verse 31, he says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You see, without God, there is no 
certain future. And this leads to profound anxiety about survival. And so life becomes the pursuit of things that stave off the grave. To add some security in an anxiety-ridden world. Jesus urged his hearers not to be like the Gentiles, but to be true Israelites, knowing that God cares. And instead of being anxious about the things needed for survival, knowing that God will provide these things. Here is the heart of the matter. You see it in verse 33. This is the key. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, stop worrying and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. When we seek the kingdom, we, 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 we discover a new way of relating to the things of this world that comes from knowing the Father's care and, and, and looks towards the, 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 the kingdom coming in all its glory. And we can do that because Jesus promises that God will provide us with what we need. Now that's a wonderfully reassuring promise, isn't it? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, which in context is food and clothing and shelter and those, will be given to you as well. But I do want to say three things about that promise that, that sort of help us to understand it. The first one is this, Jesus only promises us the necessities of life, not the luxuries. You see, when we look at life through the lens of Western culture, that confuses us a lot, doesn't it, about what God is promising. And in his mercy, God often lavishes us with much more than just the essentials. But in the context here, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the essentials. Now, how much do we still worry? You think, well, what about the exceptions? What about the exceptions? Well, one major exception might come about when we are called to suffer for the sake of righteousness. Indeed, some Christians die because of a lack of material supply. God does put people in situations where seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness means they are persecuted and they go without. But that doesn't negate God's promise here. The other exception is the, is the, the poverty. What do we say about poverty? Because there are still Christians in the world for whom poverty is a reality. Is, is God not honouring his promise here? Well, that, that issue is really complex. We don't have time to go into the complexity of it. I don't want to be glib, but it seems that across the world, God has provided enough to sustain everybody, and the bigger question is unequal distribution. What do we do about that? Jesus 
Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And so for the Christian, the focus is always the kingdom of heaven. Our thinking and our decision-making needs to be filtered through the lens of not, not, not what will make me more comfortable or more satisfied in life, or, but how, how will this advance the kingdom of heaven? How will my behaviour advance the kingdom of heaven? How do my attitudes advance the kingdom of heaven? What, do, what, what does what I treasure say about the kingdom of heaven and what God treasures? And as we continue to filter things through the lens of the kingdom of heaven, that's going to stimulate in us a radical rethinking about how we relate to the world. You see, sin brings disorder to life and this disorder brings about a profound anxiety about our existence. And for pagans, this profound anxiety dominates their lives. They worry. But once the kingdom of heaven dominates our thinking and we know that our future is assured and secured by the Father who cares... That changes our lives, doesn't it? Last week we were learning about how righteousness is is not obtained by following the Pharisees and teachers of the law by doing good works in in public for for others to, to praise us. What Jesus is saying here is that righteousness is not obtained by following the pagans in being attached to this world. We live in a different kingdom. And so instead, righteousness is the proper ordering of our lives according to the way God wants things to be. Storing up treasure in heaven rather than treasure on earth. Fixing our eyes on the kingdom of heaven rather than on earthly things. Serving God, not money. And seeking his kingdom and his righteousness first above all else what will you choose how about we pray father these are tough words to present the choice so starkly before us of what do we treasure who do we serve what is our gaze fixed upon what does it mean to seek first your kingdom and righteousness. Father, we admit that in so many ways we are too attached to this world and that causes us to worry and to be anxious about all manner of things. Father, we pray that you would help us to treasure our relationship with you, the pursuit of godly character, seeing people come to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour, that you would help us to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven, that you would help us to fix our gaze on the kingdom of heaven, that we would serve God and not money. Father, we know that in some areas of our life this is going to take radical transformation So we thank you and praise you for the work of your spirit in our lives. We pray that he will continue to change in us 
what needs to be changed that we might treasure things that are valuable and worth treasuring and that our hearts will chase after those things and that will be reflected in our lives and behaviour in how we speak and we pray that we might change so that we might bring glory and honour to Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.